Welcome to Esmo Open Podcast. Today we welcome Gillem Archiles from Valdebron University Hospital, Barcelona in Spain. He will talk to us about the new anti-CEA, anti-CD3 by specific monoclonal antibody called CEA-TCB. This was presented at the ESMO World Congress on Gastrointestinal Cancer and also the ESMO Annual Meeting uh, 2017. So, Gillam, first of all, could you say something about what kind of drug is this bispecific anti-CEA, anti-CD3? The CATCB is a bispecific antibody that on one hand uh, binds the CA protein expressed in the epithelias, and on the other hand, bind the CD3, which is a part of the T-cell receptor complex. Um, by this uh, mechanism of action, the drug, what really does, it uh, causes a direct T-cell engaging uh, just on the basis that CA expression is expressed preferentially in tumor cells. It's important to make a clarification in this point because you know that there are many epithelias that has uh, normal CA expression. And uh, through a drug like this, you can perhaps cause uh, activation of immunity in, in normal epithelias like colon or corneal epithelia and so. But the design of this drug has been um, created has been uh, thought um, just to avoid this because is you have the opportunity to have the structure, the figure uh, representing the structure of the drug. You see how there are two anti-CA binding domains and just one anti-CD3 binding domain. And moreover, these BCA binding domains are high affinity binding domains compared to the CD3 binding domain, which is low affinity. This causes that the antibody has to recognize cells with high CA expression uh, because the antibody needs to bind two molecules at the same time. And this requires a significant level of CA expression. And this significant level of CA expression, it's higher to what's seen in normal epithelias like colon and, other, and, and others. So by through this design, uh, you are causing a preferential binding in the tumor, not in the normal cells. So could you say something about the initial experience before the initiation of the study? There were a significant number of experiments uh, at the preclinical level. Uh, the first experiments conducted were uh, in vitro experiments trying to demonstrate the preferential engagement of immunity in the CA high expressing cells and not in the low CA expressing cells. Just trying to demonstrate safety that the drug provides the necessary safety conditions before going on to patient experimentation. Then Following these uh, in vitro experiments, uh, they, they were there were conducted uh, functional experiments in humanized PDX. Humanized PDX are PDX models uh, designed to uh, test immune agents. Uh, they are uh, PDX that carry human tumor 
and also they carry human immune system. So you have a mice with a tumor and also the human immune system. So, you do, so then in these mice, you can test different immunotherapy agents and combinations. So following the in vitro experiments, they were conducted also uh, in vivo experiments in these humanized PDX. And the data that was published in the clinical cancer research um, point out that the drug was able to cause preferential activity in the high CA expressing cells and which includes the tumor of the mosses. How did the idea of uh, combining with the PDL1 inhibitor arise? The observation supporting this combination came from the phase 1A dose escalation trial, which was the first time in human testing of the CATCB. So we conducted a dose escalating phase 1 um, with a course of 3 plus 3. Uh, and, we, and this trial includes PERT biopsies in patients. All the patients included into the trial uh, underwent PERT biopsies. And what we realized is that in the on-treatment biopsy, when compared to the baseline biopsy, we saw uh, overexpression of PDL1. And since PDL1 is a well-known mechanism of resistance for immunotherapy agents, we really saw from the very beginning that the natural step, the natural further step, was to combine it with anti-PDL1. And this was the rationale to do the, the combination and to uh, start the phase 1B trial with uh, combining CATCB plus atezolizumab. How was the toxicity profile with such a potent drug combination? Well, um, you know that toxicity uh, in immune-oncology is it's challenging because you can have very good results in patients with long-lasting survivors and when, with long-lasting responses, but on the other hand, at the cost of having sometimes uh, relevant toxicities depending on the combination you are testing. Uh, for this drug, what we saw as, as presented in the different presentations that Josep Tavernero uh, gave at ASCO and myself that I gave in the OGI was constant, manageable, and also uh, it's easy to predict. We, have, we, we got two different kinds of adverse events. Uh, following CATCB administration, what the patient experienced is an, a very fast immune activation in the tumor. So all the tumor relations um, become inflamed, and this causes a transient impairment on tumor symptoms. So basically, the symptoms depend on the tumor burden and the tumor localization that every single patient has. For example, the lung lesions could get inflamed and this inflammation could cause cough, tumor pain and also transient shortness of breath. Patients that had liver meds could have uh, pain, could have also transient AST, ALT increase and also jaundice. But it's important to remark that this is also the vast majority of these events are transient, respond well to corticosteroids and only happen after the first infusions. And then as the patient is being treated, subsequently, the adverse events progressively disappear. Uh, so we, got, we had a, 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 a tolerability profile depending on the 
localization of lesions and also the tumor burden. On the other hand, we, we got a different pattern of adverse events that is more systemic and it's uh, because the intense uh, tumor inflammation following the first, second, and maybe the third infusion cause cytokine release, and these cytokines release to the blood cause uh, pseudogripal syndrome, consisting of fever, chills, and also fatigue and, and hyporexia, lasting for mainly two, three days after the first, second, and third infusion, and totally disappeared after the, the third infusion. This flu-like syndrome uh, easily responds to enzymes, so it's nothing worrying. Uh, in addition, we saw diarrhea, and this diarrhea could be explained by the different two profiles of adverse events. Could be explained for the local inflammation of the tumor lesions, because this diarrhea is higher in the patients that had peritoneal involvement of the tumor affection, but also could happen immediately after the first and second infusion and could be also uh, explained by this cytokine release, transient cytokine release, causing uh, bowel inflammation mediated by these cytokines and then producing the diarrhea. So diarrhea is the only adverse event that could fit in both groups of adverse events. The rest are very clear due to one pattern of adverse event, the systemic one because of cytokines, or the localized one because of the tumor involvement. Mm. And what I think it's positive of this clarity profile is that if you have experience with the drug and you know really how to select the patients, and also you really know how to manage these adverse events. Uh, I have to say that the durability profile is totally predictable and totally manageable. So I think it's a positive overall durability profile. Could you just briefly uh, comment on the main results of the two trials? Yeah, in the phase one, the vast majority of patients, because they were selected uh, through C high CA expression, into the tumor, not into the peripheral blood. So all the patients underwent uh, a biopsy uh, with an immunohistochemistry staining for, for CA expression into the tumor. And only the patients with high CA expression were allowed to be included into the trial. Um, these high CA expressors, as you know, uh, the CA expression, it, it's mainly in GI tumors, but also in lung cancer and other few tumor types. And the vast majority of tumors types of patients leading to the trial had colorectal cancer. More than 95% of patients included into the trial had colorectal cancer and few pancreatic cancers, gastric cancer, and lung cancers. So the vast majority of patients and the only ones uh, of whom we have uh, result, efficacy results are colorectal cancer because it was the only cohort uh, analyzed so far. The data I'm going to discuss came from the ASCO and ASCO and, and World GI presentations. And what we saw is that in the single agent trial, um, we saw responses in all of those levels with a significant activity compared to other immune oncology agents in non-hypermutant colorectal cancer. In this cohort that is classically thought as a refractory to immunotherapy agents because uh, there were only three patients with 
proven MSI status, the rest were patients with MSS. Uh, we saw three responses over all the patients included into the trial, and this activity merited the starting with the combination trial. In the combination trial, we saw a very curious deficit that we saw a dose relation pattern of activity being the vast majority of patients treated over 80 milligrams of CATCB with full dose of ATESO having certain benefit from the combination. Uh, if we take a look uh, just to the, to the cohort of patients treated over 80 milligrams, we saw that out of 11 patients treated, only two patients were refractory to the combination. And, but the rest of patients, the, the nine other patients, uh, benefited from the combination having a long PFS and also uh, tumor responses. So this means that uh, the patients treated at the biological active dose could have benefit from, from this combination. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, this relation with the dose was not seen on this inhalation trial. So now concerning the CEA levels, was there a clear cutoff on the immunohistochemistry? Yeah. All the patients had positive immunohistochemistry tests and the threshold was that patients needed to have uh, at least two pluses or three pluses in more than 50% of cells into the cytoplasm of the cell membrane. That was the cutoff for considering a patient eligible for the trial. Patients with less than this expression were not able to take part into the trial. Could you see any correlation with the blood CEA levels? No, because we did not see any clear correlation between the tumor expression levels by immunostochemistry and the CA circulating levels. Uh, what we saw is correlations with the um, uh, CA kinetics in the peripheral blood and the benefit to the treatment, but not with uh, on the baseline status in regards of uh, patient eligibility, which means that patients with high CA, peripheral CA sometimes were not eligible for the trial based on the, the immunostochemistry criteria. This has a very simple explanation. It's that the CA expression in the tumor is one thing, but the CA levels in the peripheral blood is something that has more to do with the tumor burden rather than the intensity of cell expression, of CA expression. Did you and the other investigators discover any subgroups with better or worse outcome? Not indeed, but if we take into account the data coming from the PERT biopsies, uh, we saw that perhaps the patients with lower levels of baseline tumor inflammation were the patients that had more benefit to the, trend, to the combination of the CATCB plus atezolizumab. We saw that the patients that had significant levels of lymphocyte infiltration at the baseline before treatment initiation or significant degree of T-cell activation at the baseline were the patients that later on obtained um, lower benefit from the treatment. And on the other hand, the patients that had um, the cold tumors, the patients with tumors being um, without T-cell infiltration 
or without with infiltration but not t-cell activation where the patient then obtain that obtain more benefit but this is just exploratory came in uh, this data came from the per analysis of the per on treatment per biopsies and few patients had this analysis done yet so we will need to obtain more data more prospective data before being able to answer this question properly so what is the next step for CEA TCP trials? Well, at this point, I would like to make a reminder that um, CEA TCP could be a very interesting treatment option for metastatic colorectal cancer because uh, so far we only were able to demonstrate benefit of immunotherapy, conventional immunotherapies for the hypermutant colorectal cancer, for the MSI high colorectal cancer, which accounts for near 5% of the metastatic population. And we have not been able to demonstrate benefit of immunotherapy for the 95% resting. So CATCB provides interesting data for this rest of CRC patients. So based on that, I think that a very natural further step could be to develop this combination in the refractory metastatic colorectal cancer without MSI high. Stages. However, first of all, I think that given the importance of having expertise with the treatment before being in this position to start treating patients, and then the importance of patient selection just to avoid uh, having problems of tolerability, I think that before that, the current trials needs to provide mitigation strategies for toxicity that could really let's say, dilute this necessity on selecting the patients and, and could allow the physicians to treat almost every patient because we will dispose of mitigation measures for toxicity. Is there any phase three trials ongoing? No. Right now, we only have the phase 1A trial testing CATCB single agent and we have the phase 1B trial testing CATCB in combination with atezolizumab. We need to wait until the uh, conclusion of these trials before to move on to the phase 3 trials or phase 2. So, finally, how do you see the future for the treatment of colorectal cancer, apart from what you have told us uh, already? So, the situation of CATCB it's difficult because what we have right now is we have active treatments in front and second line and we have active treatments in the refractory setting for very 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 selected populations which could be the msi high patients that could be treated with nevo and pembro um, we have the HER2 amplified patients that could be treated with lapatinib and, and trastuzumab. We have the BRAF mutant patients that could be treated with BRAF anti BRAF combos. But the rest of the patients, which accounts for near 80% of the entire colorectal cancer population, only have common options like could be regorafenib and TAS102 that provide modest efficacy when compared to the agents I've just, I have just mentioned and, and also I could have a, a difficult tolerability profile. So we need to improve the panorama for this 80% of colorectal cancer and perhaps CATCB could be an option 
for this, but we need to also develop other agents besides CATCB. The problem I envision is that the 80% the of metastatic colorectal cancer population depend on so far undrugable targets. So it's very difficult to, to treat these patients at the molecular level. The vast majority of this colorectal, 80% of colorectal cancers depend on RAS mutations, uh, P53 mutations, uh, TGF beta pathway inactivations, and so far these, these pathways, these, these molecular alterations are, are out of therapeutic reach, so it's going to be difficult for these patients, but we need to do our best to improve their outcomes. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Jilam, uh, for enlightening us on this new exciting drug, and thank you for listening. Please find more podcasts on the ESMO Open homepage and stay connected via Facebook or Twitter for updates. <music>